Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Gareth's Random Ramblings. Of course, it is Sunday, and uh, slight different today. I'm not going to talk about um, what's happening in Hollywood and take the piss out of them and all that. I've actually got a uh, well-known New Zealand actor, uh, stage legend, basically, in the uh, couch beside me. His name's Brian Sargent. Good morning, Brian. Hi, how are you? Not too bad, you? Good, thanks. Yeah. Now, what's, um, we'll start off with the real simple as questions. What made you get into um, the acting side of things? Well, uh, I was at school when I was about 12. Um, they announced that they were having a drama club, and I didn't really know what that was, but I went along anyway because it sounded like fun. And I was cast in a play, and I went out on stage and got a very good reaction. And I was hooked, basically, from that moment on. So um, for a couple of years after that, I didn't really think about it. But when I was in my school cert year, I discovered that there were professional actors working in New Zealand. And so I decided I wanted to be one of them. So everything from there on in at school, uh, out of school, was aimed at achieving that. Now, a lot of people would know you, obviously, from you know, Outrageous Fortune, playing Eric, Flight of the Concords, um, playing the Prime Minister, amongst many other things. But what, um, for lack of a better word, amazed me or stunned me when I was researching this, because I did research it, um, you've done a whole pile of stuff on stage, mm. like a whole pile, wrote your own things. You played, what's I think it was 12 characters in one play? That's right, yeah. 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 How the ha- I can't, when I did plays, I had trouble remembering one set of lines. How the fuck did you do 12? Well, I don't know, really. I just, <laughs> I, just uh, I had to. Um, I mean, you look for the divisions in the characters, and uh, you, you've just got to basically approach the roles as you would one role, except 12 times. And, uh, yeah, I, I did it. In a play called um, Time of My Life and again and Travels with My Aunt there were multiple characters in that and I just seem to have a facility for that. So, yeah. So, and you've, you've also got um, a few awards as well for writing and uh, directing as well? Stage? I've uh, done a little bit of directing, not yeah. much. No. Yeah. So, uh, when you're doing, this may sound like a super question, but when you're doing writing for the stage, and you know, or reading a script for the stage and reading a script for TV or film, is yeah. it much different, or is it? Pretty much oh the same? yeah, I mean, uh, with film or TV, you can go wherever you want to. You know, you write a location up and you go to that place and shoot it. But with the stage, you're you know you're bound to one area, so you have to take that into account when you're writing. You have to write something that can be concentrated into basically one set. You know, occasionally in plays you'll have a change of scene, but this nowadays that is done in a very minimal way, usually with lighting or moving a couple of bits of furniture. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be more dialogue-oriented and story-oriented um, on stage. I mean, those things are still important in a film, but you've got to uh, focus all your attention so that you can get the message across on stage in two hours in front of a, an audience. Mm. And also, if you fuck up on TV or something like that, you just read it and shoot it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, also, so you, as I said, you've done a lot of um, different roles and stuff like that. What's one that you just thought, oh my god, I'm doing this right now? Like, you may have been in the zone, been shooting it, and thought, holy crap, I'm in New York, or holy crap, I'm yeah, here. Yeah, well, very much. That, that was very much the case with Flight of the Concords. I couldn't believe. Um, I mean, I, I got that gig and. Um, 
I was doing a play in Massachusetts. I mean, I lived for a while, I should explain. I lived for a while in Massachusetts and attended university there and did some work in America as well. And so I was cast in flight of the Concords, but back in Massachusetts I was doing uh, The Tempest, Shakespeare play, playing uh, Prospero. It's a huge role. And the home box office who produced The Concords couldn't have been more accommodating. They... Um, they put us up in a lovely hotel in Brooklyn. They flew me between uh, Boston and New York a couple of times every week. And uh, it was, you know, living the dream. There, nothing was too much trouble. The money was good. Um, they treated me really, really well. And, you know, I did. I had that moment, you know. Downtown Brooklyn, myself and <clears throat> the Concords and Rhys Darby and... Uh, uh, Lucy Lawless, who was in the second episode of the year, was that moment of, wow, you know, this is it. I'm in New York shooting, you know, it was great. So when you were saying you did the, um, you know, you were in Massachusetts flicking it across, Wait, to do that audition, did you have to audition to be the Prime Minister? Yeah, or did I they... did. Our box office insisted on that, though. Jermaine and Brett um, knew that they wanted me anyway, but I had to go through that whole process. Yeah. Um, and I, I got it. I mean, they... Jermaine told me when I got there, he said, oh, you, um, if we hadn't got you, we would have had to get the guy from the castle, the father from the castle, who was sort of next in line. So I was first choice, but it was still a competitive environment, so I was glad to get the role. And what, what was one part in that, filming that, that you really enjoyed doing, just filming the Fly of the Concords part? Well, um... <coughs> Between the two episodes, the the first episode I appeared in, Prime Minister, I think, was slightly better written than the other ones. But um, it was really fun shooting the second episode to close an entire street in in Brooklyn and New York um, and have the sheep running around that we had for the episode and, you know, a sheep wrangler and... A woolly sheep and a sheared sheep, and you just saw, you know, geez, only in America, you know. Say, I'm sure, I'm sure the American people loved you for that. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, to get into the role of prime minister, did you have to do anything? Did you have to just, you know, well, stand was, up straighter and talk? Or uh, did you just... No, not really. I mean, when I read the script and I saw the possibilities of what I could do with it, it just sort of it slipped on pretty easily. You know, because the character is so... Uh, I mean, it was very, very well written. I mean, the Concords are very funny guys. And um, it was a very... we The way they work was that you shoot the scripted episode and then they keep the camera running and you just improvise around the, around the script uh, to see, you know, whatever gold drops out from that. And James Bobin, who directed it, uh, oh, he went on to, to direct the Muppet movie that's out now. Um which is the link between him and, and Brett, who won the Oscar for the song. Um, he, James Bowman's an incredibly, um, uh, you know, imaginative director who just creates an atmosphere on set where you feel confident you, that you can be funny and that you can come up with your own stuff. So it's great. So um, last, last question on, on the Concord side of things. When you found out Brett won the Oscar... Did you feel proud, happy? Oh, yeah, oh well absolutely, done, like, absolutely. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Brett is a wonderfully warm person and uh, great to work with, as is Jermaine and, and Reese. But uh, 
No, I was thrilled for Brett because he's got no sight at all. He's just a Kiwi boy, he still lives here, and he goes and does the job, and he does it brilliantly. And I'm sure that his attitude would be very, very novel in Hollywood. He is not the big ego kind of guy at all. He sends himself up and the whole thing. He doesn't take himself too seriously as well. And it amused me to think of him mingling with all those stars because he'd be something quite different. All the big egos in him. Perfectly. Yeah. So, going from Prime Minister and Flight of the Concords to playing, well, what could be called, you know, like a, a stoner, basically an outrageous fortune. Yeah. Slightly different uh, perspective there, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Eric's, um, uh, he, the, the audience took um, to him to their hearts because, I mean, everyone sort of knows someone like Eric. Um, but yeah, he he wasn't. It was a popular character, but in the in the context of the show, he wasn't a popular person. He was a rat. He was a, a lech. He was the fence. He, he was the bottom of the barrel, as far as uh, the other characters went, and he was treated that way. So it was an old feeling because he never got a chance to be heroic or do anything right you know he was there for comic relief um but i can't you just as an actor you can't just play that you've got to think of you've got to find something about the character that you like or at least understand that you can project otherwise it's just one dimensional so given that there wasn't a lot coming from the scripts in support from other characters i just had to uh, bring that out myself one episode, he he uh, kidnapped a guy, uh, kidnapped a lady. Sorry, that's right. That would have been fun to shoot. It was. <laughs> I mean, you, it, it was actually fun because um, most of the time when we we're shooting outrageous fortune, we were at the headquarters of South Pacific Pictures, where the set for the West House and the set for the Rusty Nail Pub are permanently set up. But for this one, we went actually to a a kind of semi-abandoned house on the um, uh, on the peninsula Tiatatu Peninsula and we were there all day and it was like doing a little film on location and it was just myself and um, the actress Michelle Ang who played um, Tracy Hong and so it was our story for the day and uh, that was great So Brian when you um, you know when you get given a script and stuff like that you know when you're looking through a script what's your inspiration to say yeah I'll do this or nah you can go away come back later the, the first and most important thing is always story mm. you know it's the story with the beginning middle and end does it make sense is it worth telling secondly after that are they telling it with good characters believable characters and is it done with good dialogue you know that gets the story across but when I'm actually performing, then the inspiration for that that, that gives you the extra energy or the spark usually comes from the people around me. So if I'm on a film set, um, I want for there to be good energy there. You know, uh, you're only performing for the camera, but it's great if you're surrounded by people who are willing you to do your best. And when I'm on stage, it's the audience that um, their presence and their reaction that encourages me to go a little bit further to see how far I can push it. You really got to be daring when you're on stage. You really got to um, take.
take some risks. Otherwise, it's just mundane or silly. I was going to say, when I, I did a uh, show once in Reefton and talked about daring, we were debating at the beginning if the audience was into it. And at one point in the play, I actually had to go out in my underwear. <laughs> and I debated whether it was tidy whities or board shorts. Yeah. And it was the case that the audience were laughing. I'd go tidy whities if there wasn't. It was board shorts. And um, sadly for me, they were into it. So uh, the <laughs> poor town of Reefton saw me in yeah. tidy whities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done anything like that? Oh, uh, God, real I random did. stuff you put on? Oh, and go, what the yeah. Hell? I, uh, <laughs> I did uh, a show called. It's a New Zealand show called Ladies' Night. Uh, Twenty years ago. Um, written by Stephen Sinclair and Anthony McCartan and I, you know, that was about male strippers and I ended up being the drag act that did the comedy at the end. <laughs> but um, the one part of it, we all had to get down to our undies, you know, and you just... Went with it. You just, you just <laughs> run with it. What can you do? You know, yeah. it's the job, so... At least you had everyone else in their undies. It was just me for me. Yeah. That sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Getting, as we were talking about before, slightly getting into the characters and stuff, and as you said, you find things that you like about it, and go, that's your way, but when you're trying to play like heavier roles, like stuff like that, how does it affect you personally, not in terms of you know your character, but personally, you'll obviously take things from Eric that you've still got now, things of the Prime Minister, things from that you've taken from the stage yeah. that you still have now, how does that affect you? Um, well... It depends on the nature of the role. If it's a light-hearted role, um, which, you know, Prime Minister was, but Eric's slightly different. I mean, like I said, for comic relief, but there's something tragic about the guy. Nobody likes him. He's got no fixed abode. Everyone's suspicious of him and all of that. So you've got to find those things within yourself or from your experience of other people that you can bring to the role. I mean, it's not necessary to have every experience that you're character has had but you've got to imaginatively use some experiences of your own or others that you've learned out learned about from other people to um pull the strands together of the scene or the character now um because we were talking about this before um before we hit record funnily enough uh about um heath ledger when he did the joker and stuff like that like that wouldn't have been good for his uh Good for his headspace, no, really, would it? No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. And, and clearly the poor guy um, was having a lot of problems at the time. Um, the exact nature of those, I don't know. There's a lot of rumour and speculation that he was taking drugs while he was doing the um, the Joker. And certainly he died as a result of drugs. And it's all very, very tragic because he was, he was fantastic and he would have had a huge career... Um, you know, his performance of Brokeback Mountain is uncannily uh, accurate for that type of American, and uh, he obviously had a great imagination, and his performance as a joke is fantastic, but it cost him his life. I, I've got no doubt about that. As far as myself goes, um, I had a school teacher in the sixth form who followed my career for 20 years after I, um, after I left school, and she was very loyal audience member who used to come and see me and I have over the years played some very heavy roles, rapists, um, mentally ill people, uh, baddies, you know, um, I don't mean that by the mentally ill people but it's just a lot of criminals, murderers, cops, yeah. criminals, um, liars, you know, people who are kind of filled with hatred, you know, some classic 
things like uh, Iago and Othello, who's you know supposed to be the most evil character in all of literature, and, and I can believe it. In a play like Closer, where I was a severely neurotic um, dermatologist involved with two different women, he certainly was a an ambiguous character. And by this this teacher, I. I I had, she's now passed away now, Eileen Bone, she um, used to say to me, I worry about you and those parts that you play, you know, what it's doing to your mind. And when I was younger, I uh, just dismissed that. But now, when I'm a bit older, I'm coming to realise that, yeah, I've stored up a whole lot of funny memories in my head, and they do come back sometimes to haunt me, the, the fact that I've been in those places. So, you know, I try to balance it now with um, uh, making sure that I get the, you know a bit of light and light around me when I'm working on those things otherwise you know it can drag you down mm, yeah I can fully understand that and uh, obviously that's not a nice place to be at no it's not and I, I wouldn't I have to be particularly careful of things like that um, I have bipolar disorder and uh as a result of that, I've been gravely ill sometimes, and uh, you've got to clear your mind out. You've got to just you know, give it a spring clean, breath of fresh air, and uh, stuff like that. And w- while I'm on the subject of mental illness, um, which I just jumped into rather quickly there, at the moment I'm very proud of my sister, Pamela Whittington. She was um, in the Dominion Post on Friday. Uh, tragically, her son, my nephew Kirk, took his own life uh, four years ago. And since that time, my sister Pam has been trying to get the hospital, um, the mental health department of uh, Hutt Hospital to take some responsibility for it. And she's tirelessly worked and campaigned to get that. And on Friday, it was announced that the coroner's verdict was that the policies and practices of um, the uh, Lower Hutt Mental Health Organisation, I don't know its exact title, but I'm sure it's a department or something, were at fault to the degree that um, uh, basically the coroner said that it was they were responsible for Kirk's death and because they hadn't treated him in the correct way. And that's a great triumph for... Pa- Pamela, but it's, um, of course, a horrible, horrible tragedy, which which it always will be. But I'm extremely proud of her for doing that. And uh, she, as a result of having Kirk as her son, Kirk was a a chronic paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, She's very well versed in mental health issues. And so the whole family is kind of behind that. And... uh, I've done my bit as far as I can to um, raise awareness about the idea of being unafraid and strong in the presence of a friend or loved one who's got uh, any kind of mental illness. I don't mean that you should attempt to treat them, but it's like the ad say, just be there for them. And, uh, you know, I admire John Kerwin for what he's doing for you know, a great big guy like that coming out and saying, look, I can be brought to my knees by depression, uh, is very important. And uh, 2% of the population suffer from manic depression, which is significant. 
so we're all going to know someone who knows someone who's got it. Uh, so I can't say enough, you know, about increasing awareness and um, understanding of people who suffer from that. So I'm very proud of my sister, you know, for doing what she did because it was very difficult and she got a result and it's going to change things. And hopefully uh, there's going to be less people finding themselves in the position Kurt did. Is there anything else you wanted me to ask about? So that's good. I mean, uh, but yeah, so that's my little ad for mental health awareness. But, um, you know, I keep going with, with the career. I've got plays to do later this year. I've got a film script I'm developing and uh, uh, a play I've got half finished. So, you know, you keep going. Mm. So it's too late for me to say that I've got something here for you as well. Is that right? Or It's too late what? For me to say that I've got something for you to look at, like a script I've written. No, 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 it's not too late at all. That's fine. That was worth a shot. <laughs> I'm always keen to, for new good ideas, you know. Mm. All right, well, Brian... Thanks very much for letting me um, have a chat with you. You're welcome. And, um, yeah, if there's anything else you want to uh, say, feel free. No, uh, just uh, if you know someone who's got a mental health problem, uh, help them if you can. At least be there for them. Uh, And go to the theatre and watch TV and go to the movies. New Zealand's got a wonderful entertainment industry, but it means nothing without the support of the audience. So um, be part of that. And don't fucking download. No. There you go. <laughs> no fucking download. <laughs> Brian, cheers, man. Thanks for Thank the you. chat. Cheers.